Yeah, Father, we thank you for Ellie, Lord. We thank you for all that she has prepared. Um, Lord, we thank you for the ways that you've been speaking to her. And Lord, we just pray that you would bless her. Lord, you would give her confidence and joy in, in expressing your word. Um, Lord, yeah, we just pray, um, yeah, for soft hearts, open ears um, to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'll be honest, I'm going to open up by saying I am incredibly nervous this morning. Thank you, Liz. Um, even though I'm a teacher and I'm quite used to talking in front of children and in front of assemblies and staff, um, this is very different, very new. So um, please bear with me on that one. Um, so we're going to continue looking at Colossians. And today we're looking specifically at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. And the title of today's talk is Submitting to the World's Rule. So on the screen are some rules that I found. And if you haven't had a chance, I have been flicking through this morning's slides. Uh, but if you haven't had a chance, have a quick look at them now. And I just want you to have a little think about what are the wackiest rules that you've come across. There are some more if I flick over. So here are some. Maybe you can think of more. An example that always springs to my mind is uh, one actually that came from my old school. Um, and something that's probably relevant to that, my school was established in the 12th century. And somewhere written in the old school rules is that the head of school is allowed to fire a crossbow at a Welshman from the very top of the cathedral. <laughs> now, most of the time, however, rules are put in place to keep us safe and happy, or at least that's what I tell the children in my class. If we take a look at some British laws, we've got do not steal, do not kill, do not lie under oath. A lot of these rules correlate to the commandments that was given to Moses um, by God on the top of Mount Sinai. And they should be adhered to. I think we can probably all agree that God's rules should be followed. However, in today's talk, I'm going to explore what submitting to the world's rule looks like and explore whether or not this is a good or bad thing. I'm going to break down my talk into four sections. Firstly, I'll explore how Paul qualifies Jesus's authority as the foundation of rules to build upon. Next, I'll split the world's rule into two categories. So exploring first governmental rule and then societal rule independently from each other. And lastly, I'll explore how Paul teaches us how to act within a world full of rules. So before I do all of that, I'd just like to read you um, the verses that I'm going to be looking at. So from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits on the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. 
And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you and you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the, message about, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, I just wish to give a little overview of um, when that was set. And I'm aware that we've had that, I think, most weeks. Um, but I always think it's quite useful for myself to have a little reminder. So, here we go. Colossae was a cosmopolitan city in the southwest part of Turkey. It sat on a major route through Asia, which brought together people from many different cultures. So you had Frisians, Greeks, Jews, Romans, lots of different um, cultures. And with that, many different religions and belief systems. So an example is you have animism, which is worshipping nature. So, for example, worshipping um, natural elements like water or fire. Um, and another example is astrology, so worshipping the stars. This mixture of cultures and belief systems resulted in a melting pot of ideas for people in the Church of Colossae. New rules and ideas were being introduced that didn't necessarily align with Jesus' teachings. This was a church that was wandering away from the truth. And then this is where Paul steps in. Despite being under house arrest and not actually having any direct link with the Colossian church, he wrote to them. 
Paul's aim was to help the Colossians understand Jesus' teachings and God's rules and ultimately help them to restore their relationship with God. So now on to Jesus' authority to rule. As I mentioned previously, the Colossian church had lost its way. It had meandered from the truth that is Jesus and had allowed itself to be corrupted by false authorities and rules. In chapter 3 of the book of Colossians, Paul starts with establishing Jesus' authority. So straight away in verses 1 and 2, it states, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Here, Paul immediately focuses our attention on Jesus' lordship. He uses repetition of the term above to to draw associations with heaven, and then he directly states that Jesus is sat on the right hand of God. There is no higher place. In doing so, Paul reminds the Colossians that Jesus is supreme ruler and creator of the universe. This echoes what Paul wrote previously in his letter, saying that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. By making such profound statements, Paul is urging the Colossians to recognize the supreme authority that Jesus has and therefore to submit to his rule rather than any earthly rule that cannot compete in stature. As a little side note, when I was looking at these verses, I was really struck in the original version that I was reading, which I believe was from the New International Version, Um, it repeats or near repeats two lines which is set your hearts on things above and set your minds on things above now in the English standard version it more literally translates the original Greek as seek things that are above it doesn't actually specify the heart aspect Um, however like I said I found it really interesting that the NIV version um, put emphasis on seeking with your heart and your mind. They really drew into that aspect. Um, I think we should seek the Lord with every aspect, just like the NIV version is drawing us to or calling us to do. I also find it interesting that in this version, the NIV version, the heart is placed above the mind. It's references the heart ahead of the mind, suggesting that we should have a desire for Jesus Christ ahead of setting our thoughts there. And to me, this reinforces the relational aspect of God with man. And whilst God has authority over man, he still wishes to have relationship with him. So that was just a side note that I found really interesting. So that sets the scene, Paul straight away sets the scene into where Jesus' authority is. It is the supreme rule that we should be looking to. So now we can look on a more earthly term. 
So if we have a look at submitting to governmental rule and what that says in Colossians chapter 3. And in truth, Colossians chapter 3 doesn't really say an awful lot about governmental rule. Actually, it doesn't really say anything about governmental rule. Paul makes reference to earthly things. Um, However, as you read on, it appears that this links more with societal rule rather than um, that of being governed. However, even though it doesn't really mention it in Colossians 3, I want to just touch on it briefly as I think it has relevance to what this talk is all about with the world's rule. So if we look later in the Bible at 1 Peter 2.13, Peter instructs us to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. This verse suggests that we should be willing to place ourselves under the authority of people that God has put there. We should pray for them and we should respect them. It doesn't mean that we necessarily have to agree with them, but we should pray for them and we should respect them. However, as it shows on the the PowerPoint, also in Acts 5, verses 29, we must obey God rather than human beings. Now, looking at these two side by side, I was scratching my head a little. I thought, okay, this seems to contradict each other a little bit here. Um, However, after thinking about it and praying about it, um, I came to the conclusion that um, it, is instru- it instructs us that we should submit to human authority. However, God's authority is ultimately greater than man's. So this sort of links back to what Paul was saying to the Colossians when he was qualifying Jesus' authority to rule. Therefore, we should obey the laws that the government has issued unless they contradict God's laws because God's laws are ultimately greater than ours. So as an example, should I pay a fine for driving in a bus lane, despite that law not actually being mentioned in the Bible? Yes, because God has instructed me to submit to governmental rule so long as it doesn't conflict with his commandments. Okay, so that's governmental rule sort of summed up for you there. Submitting to societal rule. Chapter 3 in the book of Colossians seems to pay particular attention to societal rule, or as we may be more familiar today with the term, the social norm, which is where we share standard forms of acceptable behaviour by groups. In Paul's letter, he lists attributes that, that have become part of the social norm, but that cause concern by going against God's rules. So in verses 5, 8, and 9, Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Now, written down, these things all appear to have negative connotations. And it seems pretty obvious 
or at least to me, to stay away from them. And yet, these things surround us in our society, just as they surrounded the people of Colossae. So, for example, nowadays, greed may manifest itself in the form of new models, longing for the next bigger and better piece of tech, whether that be a phone, a tablet, the latest version of FIFA, not being satisfied with what we already have. Another example is in relation to sexual immorality, impurity and lust. Within the film industry alone, we can see an increase in graphic content, so much so that last month, The Guardian pegged it as the sexist award season in years. Do not lie to each other. How easy is it to make up a little white lie to make someone feel better? For example, a few weeks ago, Joe and I had a couple stay for us for a night. And in the morning, I asked them how they'd done, how had they slept. And both of them had responded to me, very well, thank you. A few minutes later, I was upstairs getting myself ready and I overheard a conversation that they were having between the two of them um, where they asked each other, how had you slept? And it turns out the truth was very different. Micah's white noise machine had kept them awake throughout the night as the wall was quite thin um, and they had had a really poor night's sleep. And whilst they weren't resentful, or unkind with what they were saying to each other, actually it really tugged at my heartstring. Thinking back to all the times over the past year and a half that they'd come to stay with us, each time clearly not sleeping well because of Micah's white noise machine, and thinking if they'd have just told me once the actual truth, they could have slept in our room where the walls are thicker and you can't hear the noise machine. Just like the Colossians, who were faced with a variety of different cultures and spiritual standings, it can be difficult sometimes not to submit to the social norm. So, how can we work towards submitting ourselves to God's rules and avoid world rules that conflict with his? Paul tells us to take up seven attributes. Compassion, Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and it says over all these virtues, love. For each of these virtues, I'm going to explore how Jesus showed these attributes and then offer examples over how we can put them into practice today. Before that, I'm going to have a quick drink though, sorry. Okay, much better. Okay, so compassion. So here's an example from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 17, um, which I think shows Jesus's compassion, where he's preaching at a synagogue and sees a woman bent over in pain, having been afflicted, as Luke words it, by a spirit who has crippled her for 18 years. Jesus shows compassion here as he can see the pain she is enduring, sympathizes for her, and then takes action to make it better. 
Author Limbab sums it up perfectly, saying, this combination of being moved internally and then acting in response to that is the essence of compassion. So it's not just noticing it, but it's also then acting upon it. We too can show compassion, just like Jesus did. Now, Jesus here in this example did a big act. He healed someone from nearly two decades of suffering. We can still show compassion, though, in smaller ways. For example, we could help someone cross a road who may be struggling, or take someone to a doctor's appointment when they don't have the means to do it themselves. Maybe if you have larger means, you could scale it up. Over the last few months, we've heard from charities such as Grow Baby and Good Soil, with whom we support as a church. Showing compassion may present itself in the form of volunteering time, money, or resources to those in need. We can show compassion in different ways, but note what Jesus did. He showed compassion to a total stranger and asked for nothing in return. Kindness. Jesus showed kindness to so many, but it's particularly, particularly noticeable in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, where Jesus decided to dine with Zacchaeus, who was someone everyone else looked down on in society. I find this a particularly interesting passage because of what we've been looking at in Colossians chapter 3. Paul in Colossians is urging us not to fall into temptation as they go against Jesus' rules. And yet Jesus still doesn't forsake those people who have been or who currently are tempted. It is all too easy sometimes to shun someone because they've done wrong. Don't get me wrong, sometimes it's necessary to put boundaries in place to try and stop that person from committing a sin or to stop them from hurting others. However, Jesus never stops showing that person kindness. In this passage from Luke, we see Jesus dining with someone who was despised in the Jewish community. Tax collectors often abuse their power to fill their own pockets. Yet Jesus chose to dine with Zacchaeus, not caring what other people thought about him in doing so. When I was exploring this talk, I came across somewhere that said, we should stop seeing people for the wrongs they've committed. Instead, we should judge how they try to right those wrongs and turn their lives around. Like I've said, this isn't always easy, but it should be something that we try and strive towards. Humility. According to Rick Warren, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I think this is a wonderful definition of the term humility. Normally, I find this quite a hard concept um, to try to describe, particularly to the children in my class when it comes up in our memory verses. What is humility? What does it look like? I find it hard because I try to encourage them to be humble, but also having the confidence in themselves. But those two terms, those two concepts, don't necessarily go easily together. So I try to explain it like this. 
It's okay to recognize that you're good at something, and when appropriate to do so, it's okay to tell others about it. For example, ooh, sorry, bear with me. My pages have got jumbled. Oh, there we go. For example, if we were holding a bake sale at school, I might at this time speak up and say that I enjoy baking and that my bakes tend to turn out well. I wouldn't, however, continually talk about how fantastic my bakes are and rub it in, the pe in other people's faces, particularly the faces of, people's of the people whose bakes perhaps turn out dry and burnt. Jesus knew the importance of humility and the importance of putting others before ourselves. Despite knowing that he was the son of God, he was prepared to live a lowly life, born in a stable and at points living in a desert. He lived modestly and taught that we should serve one another instead of being served. So from Mark chapter 10, verses 43 to 45, it says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to, to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We too should seek to live humbly. Whilst recognition for our efforts is always appreciated, praise from others or material gain shouldn't be our focus. Gentleness. Now, this is the one that has probably been my sticking point during this talk. Um, and in truth, up until this morning, I didn't really have anything um, on it. And that being the case, it's going to be quite brief. Um, however, um, with the help of Joe at the back, um, he drew my attention to um, John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. And this is where Jesus stops a woman from being stoned. Um, she was caught in an adulterous act um, and society was literally about to stone her to death. Um, however, Jesus came in and stopped this. He showed gentleness in this circumstance where many around him, well, everyone around him, was prepared to punish this woman for her wrongdoings. He didn't get angry, but instead recognized the wrong, but with one question managed to get others to walk away. Over the last few days, weeks, and months, I've seen many people in this church display wonderful acts of gentleness. That when someone has done wrong, instead of getting angry and shouting at them and telling them you know, all the mistakes that they've made, actually they've turned to that person with a gentle approach. They haven't swept their mistakes under the carpet. They haven't told them, it's okay. But they've been gentle in their words. Patience. Jesus' patience is emanated through his calm approach withstanding the test of time. An example of patience 
is here in Matthew 26, verses 59 to 68, where the chief priests were trying to find false evidence against Jesus. Throughout this period, Jesus doesn't lash out or rebuke the chief priests. He merely says the truth, which is interesting from the point that Paul was making about do not lie and the example that I gave. It's all about telling the truth. Jesus appears to stay calm and rational. And interestingly, in in comparison, it's the high priest who tore his clothes and gets irate. There are times today that that can be frustrating or hurtful, and it requires great effort to exercise patience. Perhaps we may even require a breather before tackling a situation. I know sometimes with the children in my class where they call my name, Mrs. King, Mrs. King, Mrs. King, Mrs. King, repeatedly, I need to exercise patience. And sometimes it's a case of I need to ask another member of staff, can you just take this one, please? Because I need a moment to regain my patience so that I can exercise my patience. Jesus shows the power of patience. Forgiveness. There are many examples of forgiveness in the Bible, but the one I'm going to draw from is from Luke chapter 3, verses 34, where Jesus is on the crucifix and the Roman soldiers are casting lots for his clothes. At this point, Jesus has been tortured and crucified, and yet still Jesus called out to God the Father, saying, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is a truly powerful image. Under social norm, it would be fair to say that Jesus would be, his, would be in his own right to show anger or malice towards his tormentors, particularly knowing that he is innocent and that they show no repentance for their actions. However, Jesus chose to forgive. Forgiveness isn't always easy. And in my opinion, it can be one of the hardest of Paul's instructions to follow. When we've been hurt by someone, whether physically, mentally, or spiritually, it can be incredibly difficult to forgive. However, Jesus leads by example and shows forgiveness time and again. We can show forgiveness too. We can forgive the person who forgot to make you a drink. Forgive the person who snaps on the phone. And forgive the person who drove the car wing mirror into the wall. And yes, Joe has done a lot of forgiving these last few weeks. Whilst forgiveness is necessary, I will add that it can take time to process. And it's not the same as forgetting, nor reverting to how things were before. Each time we are forgiven, we should strive to make ourselves better in God's image. The last of Paul's instructions, and as he points out, almost the most important is love. Jesus is the embodiment of love, the creator of love. Ben touched on this a few weeks ago um, when he explored Colossians chapter one, 
where in verse 16, Paul reaffirms that Jesus is creator of the invisible and invisible, meaning therefore he is also creator of this virtue, this concept, love. Jesus shows love in every aspect of what he did here on earth. All the examples that I've mentioned this morning are all underpinned by Jesus showing love. In everything we do, we should seek to do it in love. Not because we're obliged to do it or that it would look good, but because our hearts are in the right place to do so. So, to conclude, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul is writing to a church who has in some ways lost its way. It has succumbed to false rules that have crept in from other beliefs or societal concepts. Today, we too are surrounded by false rules that are influenced predominantly by the social norm. Rules that go against God's rules. Paul's letters to the Colossians still have relevance today. Even though we're in a difficult, different time and location and governed by different means, we are still faced with similar difficulties. Today, we must still strive towards showing compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love to everyone and everything. That's it. The end. Thank <laughs> you.